there everybody welcome to fresh out the podcast the podcast it's all about me john and on and and other it, people as well it's me casualty cdg i am i'm here i'm on the podcast i actually came here to talk about ant-man i don't know if you guys have seen it yet uh but that's what i'm here for are you guys oh we're supposed guys? to see ant-man i saw uncle man uh-oh we might have to record it another day then. oh man <laughs> I, I am the professional media and movie mastermind, the Funhouse, Drew Munhausen, and something crazy happened recently um, over the weekend. Jahan actually created a device that communicates with the quantum realm, and it opened up a portal, and we all got sucked into the quantum realm, and we're actually still currently stuck in the quantum realm, but we managed to scrounge together some equipment to make some microphones, and so we're actually podcasting. Live from the quantum realm. Live from the quantum realm. Podcast in the quantum realm. Can we can we can we legally claim this? Yeah. Okay. Sure. Sure. Why not? (laughs) Hell yeah. Yeah, there was a there's a new Ant Man movie that's out in theaters. And we all went and saw it. How about that? It's new right now, but if you're listening to this podcast in the future, it might not be new. Fair. Very fair. Some people may be waiting to listen to this episode um, about three months from now when it has hit Disney Plus and is streaming. Still new three months. It's still, yeah, it's still new. It's new to whoever's listening to the the podcast after hopefully having just seen the movie. So, yeah, sure. Uh, We were talking to one of our viewers the other day, and he said he just started the podcast, but he said he started at the beginning. And I was like, Uh, right. I was like, just pick, just pick episodes that sound interesting. And he was like, oh, no, I'm listening to all of them. And so <laughs> I think that at some point he'll get here and, and Ant-Man will not be new at that point in time. As somebody who is a completionist, and I do like to start things from the beginning and then go all the way through, I would not <laughs> recommend that for my own podcast for multiple reasons. A, you want to listen to the most recent episode and the most timely topic, but B, I would like to think that we've improved our podcasting um, capabilities in the past, you know, almost going on two years since we started. I would, I would think that there's been some improvement. But there might be something fun about going back and seeing us floundering and trying to find our footing until we finally until we finally hit the hook. Maybe maybe that's a that's a fun thing for somebody. But uh, yeah, I'm the same way. I unsurprisingly, uh, Drew being a completionist makes him a very gifted lover. Just hmm. thanks, thank you. Just um, wouldn't yeah. go back and listen to every single episode. <laughs> I would listen to one that specifically had a title of something that interested me or I had just seen. So, you know, if you're going to recommend the podcast to your friends, that's what I would say. Those first few episodes, remember, we actually had like news stories that we were trying to comment on and things like that. And we eventually just ditched that and we're like, let's just talk about the stuff that we like and have seen. And that, I think, is more fun. I think the episodes where we th- where we talk about, like, the Marvel movies are really good. I actually think the episode that we did, our House of the Dragon and Rings of Power comparison, once those two series had, had completely yeah, aired, fun. I thought that was a really good one. If I had to pick some highlights from the past. Those are some good picks. I actually, I, I've never seen or listened to an episode of the show, so I actually don't have a favorite. I'll never forget when we talked about Sea of Thieves. Hmm. Yeah. 
I remember. Oh, yeah, you would. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I liked our Pixar ranking. I liked our Marvel draft. Our I like doing draft. the lists. I like doing the drafts, yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, Speaking of drafts, uh, you know, where would you guys put this new Ant-Man movie? I asked Jahan before we started, Drew. What I asked him was, is this your new favorite Marvel movie? So let's just start with that. A simple yes or no. Is this your new favorite Marvel movie? For me? Yeah. No. It's also not my favorite new Marvel movie. It's not my pretty, favorite. It's, it's pretty confident favorite. no for me. Yeah. I, I mean, it's coming up against a lot, to be fair. Speaking of I, spoiler free, just no, it's not my It's, it's still better than favorite. almost every single DC movie. <laughs> we, <laughs> we can start with that, Gary. You know, just some non-spoiler impressions. And I would say for me... I liked it. I liked the movie. I liked it. That's where good. I'll start. I will say I liked it. I didn't love it, but I liked it. I thought it was fun. I had a good time at the movies. So I, I, I feel feel good about my time at the movies. So how about you, Jahan? Yeah, I was kind of, I thought I was going to be, you know, all alone here. Uh, I, I liked it. Uh, personally, I enjoyed the movie. <clears throat> Definitely not, you know, it's not It's not my favorite movie of all time, but I was, like, the things I thought I was going to hate about this movie, I actually liked. So, um, yeah, I liked it. I think that Ant-Man Quantumania was a serviceable pile of CGI garbage. Uh, <laughs> it was fine, but everything was just CGI trash. And at the end of the movie, looking at all the credits and seeing that there were, like, I don't know, 500 artists on the credit roll. It really made sense. I felt like a lot of the art and characters just... I know that we're in the quantum realm and they can be anything. Uh, but I thought that there was not a lot of... Uh, they didn't really flow together. There was not a lot of congealing of the creatures in the quantum realm or the backgrounds or what was going on. And I thought that that made the movie just messy. Just a big, messy pile of CGI crap that was serviceable. It was fine. I I actually completely agree with you. I just, you know, you delivered it in the Gary way, which I respect and appreciate because that's why you're here and on the show, <laughs> quite frankly. But I mean, I, I don't disagree with any of that. The show, it was a whole lot of CG mumbo jumbo. And, you know, when the movie first started and it was... Um, you know, it's in San Francisco at first, and there's a little bit of, of uh, Scott Lang, you know, in the real world, briefly. And it it does not take long before they're in the quantum realm. And even I, I had that realization when they go in, I'm like, okay, so this movie is going to be, you know, 95% quantum realm, which I get it. It's in the title. Like, that's how it's been promoted. But, like... I almost wasn't even ready for them to go to the quantum realm yet in the scope of the movie. I'm like, I was actually enjoying the vibes of them outside of the quantum realm. And when they went into it and it immediately becomes a bunch of CGI mumbo jumbo, I'm like, I was a little bit more detached from it. Not to say I didn't like that. I hated it or anything. I, I didn't, I had a good time. Like I enjoyed it for what it was, but it was exactly that. I mean, it was a lot of CGI, some of which um, was more passable than uh, than other bits of it, I'd say. I also think that besides <laughs> yeah, the ant, 
uh, besides the Ant family, who are sort of co-stars across this film, I would say, uh, besides them and the villain, everyone else was just totally forgettable. I don't remember any of the side characters' names. Um, it, you know, they're the people of the Quantum Realm who were helped. But none of them stuck out. None of them were heroes. None of them were stars. None of them were memorable. I don't want to see any more cameos from them. Uh, the the ant family and the villain were sort of it. And not to they say don't... they didn't try with all these side characters. There were there was a handful of side characters. Uh, I liked it. I like some of the side characters a lot. Um, there were there were some that gave me a good chuckle, you know, at some point. Like I did appreciate, you know, there's the what's his name? Um, I had it up here, Veb, the little slime creature who talked about the holes. Like you know, I got that. a chuckle. Um, I thought yeah, it was I, infinitely I better than uh, freaking Taika Waititi crapping all over his own movie. You know. It reminded there. me of somebody trying to Taika Waititi with these side characters and not doing it. Um, but I, they, they didn't do it with the success Taika did or with the cringeability that he did. Definitely. They just sort of yeah. missed. There was no cringe. See, I, I don't feel like it missed. I was laughing a lot. Uh, the, the guy who immediately asks you how many holes you have made me laugh really hard. That's a funny first question. I appreciate that. And I also appreciated uh, the telepath. I thought the telepath was pretty funny. Yeah, uh, the guy that was played by Cheaty from A Good Place. Yeah, Cheaty from A Good Place, rocking it as the telepath. That shit was really funny. Uh, just every time he read somebody's mind, it was always funny, because he's not a human. He, he He's from the quantum realm, so he has this disconnect. I thought it was funny. Uh, and then I forget her name, I think Jintara. Right? The uh, barbarian uh, woman? Yes, Jintara. That's, that's her name? Yeah. Uh... Yeah, sign me, sign me up. And see, she, for me, falls into that category of, of forgettable, kind of, you know, more in what Gary was saying. I just kind of felt like after watching this, I don't see any of these Quantum Realm characters returning in any kind of future Marvel films or anything. I think that these are just kind of standalone, with the exception of Kang, of course, which we'll we'll get to Kang. We're going to talk plenty about Kang. Um but for now, I guess just talking about the quantum realm. I mean, yeah, I mean, fair. Uh, but I feel like even in the comics, there's not a lot of uh, carryover with those two places when it comes to the characters. The characters from here go there, but not often the other way around. Okay, it's talking a little, uh, a bit more big picture about this. So, like, I <laughs> kind of tried to... Uh, yeah, no pun intended. I tried to avoid a lot of spoilers and discussion about this, especially when those very first uh, critic responses started coming out before we had been able to see the movie. I had already seen just things through Twitter or whatever suggesting that the response to this was very mixed. Um, I got the impression it was mixed to negative from a critical standpoint. And so I kind of wanted to stay away from that. Um and for me, I feel like I went into it with the proper expectations for once. Uh, going back to when we talked about Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, like I had the wrong expectations for that. I thought it was going to be this really big picture MCU film that set things in motion, and it really wasn't that. It was a Doctor Strange story, you know. I mean, that's it had some cool moments and and kind of Easter eggs and stuff throughout, but it was very much a, a Doctor Strange story. And so I went into this one thinking, like, well, hopefully we just get. An Ant-Man story, and it was, and you know they did introduce a huge villain that's going to be um, a big 
a, a huge, huge point of uh, focused in, in the MCU moving forward. Um, but even still, Kang's introduction, everything within this movie, it was still very much an Ant-Man movie and felt like an Ant-Man movie, despite, you know, all the CGI stuff that we talked about. Like the quantum realm is inherently Ant-Man in the comics. So from that same point, it was an Ant-Man movie. And so if you go into this expecting more than the third Ant-Man movie, yeah, you're probably going to be disappointed. But from an, the from that perspective, like I, I had a good time. Like I like the past couple Ant Man movies. I like the first one a lot. The second one I think is fine, and this one I thought was fine too. Like it's, it was an Ant Man movie, period. So that's, I feel like that's where I was going into it. I loved the second Ant Man movie. So my expectations for this one um, were, you know, for some reason I thought this would be like the first Doctor Strange where there are just these big moving environments and just lots of stuff going on that's sort of uh, sci-fi magic uh, hand wave. And, you know, I, that's, that's basically what I got, was a bunch of weird environments and some sci-fi magic hand wave Marvel movie. Uh, my expectations were in the right place. And if I were to give Ant-Man Quantumania a number score, I would give it a 5 out of 10 and just put it right in the middle of fine. Um, there was nothing about it that blew me away. There's nothing that really draws me back. Um, but I did have one one asterisk note in my head about the movie where Thor, Love and Thunder, they tried the goats to be... Every time they showed the goats, they thought you were going to laugh. You know what I mean? They thought they had a gimmick, and it, it missed. And it was almost cringy and, and hard to sit through. But the MODOK... In Ant-Man Quantumania, <laughs> I believe that gag worked every single time that they showed what MODOK looked like. Uh, so I do think there's Bro, something Modoc that they did really me. successfully. I can't remember. There's a couple times when in the theater where I was crying. I was laughing so hard. And uh, a few of them were MODOK. Um, <laughs> one, of, one of them, uh, those, those buildings... The flying, moving buildings with the cannon arms. In the background, uh, during uh, one of the battle scenes, you can see one of the buildings holding another one of the buildings as it's dying. And, like, people are, like, evacuating the building. And I was fucking dying. Like, it was... Uh, I don't know why. It just hit me really hard. Uh, but, no. So, I, I like this movie more than, I guess, you guys did, mostly. But, uh... Yeah, I was I was sitting at a healthy seven. Um, I liked it a lot. Uh, I expected a, I expected exactly this because you know I I, I have actually read a few of the uh, quantum realm comics. Uh, I remember one time Scarlet Spider went there in Minimum Carnage, uh, which was interesting to say the least. But um, I don't know. It was a high fantasy like, romp through, like, that poorly defined, like, 80s or 70s sci-fi that you don't know what's going on, there's just cool aliens everywhere, and somebody has a ray gun, and, you know, is that a hot barbarian chick? Yes, it is. Okay, cool. And, like, I, that's what it was for me. It was, uh, in a, in a way, it was very classic. It was classic cheesy sci-fi fantasy. And I, I, I greatly enjoy that. And I guess if you don't, I could see the lower scores. But I personally, that that's kind of like uh, one of my buttons. I like it. 
And I'm right between y'all, so this works out great. Gary's, a, you know, five out of ten. Jahan's sitting at a seven out of ten. I'm probably sitting right, right about a six out of ten. And I thought it was, I thought it was fine. I thought it was about, you know, kind of mid tier as far as Marvel movies go over, overall. Um, you know, I think there's a lot that are worse than this one, but I, I thought this was fun. And and I think we can start talking about some of the performances and before we dip into spoilers. But like, even all the I characters address just in response to to you earlier when you had said they went to the quantum realm early and they were there for a lot of it. Uh, I thought that was a big bonus, even though I did like the stuff that they were doing live action in, in San Francisco. Uh, I think a lot of times these movies have a problem hanging on in the first act and just not moving the plot where they just want to stay in this realm to set up where you know where you're going and blah, blah, blah. Uh, but as viewers, we've seen the quantum realm before and we knew what it was theoretically. And so when they all got pulled in, uh, you know, the journey's on, you know, we're, we're going to the quantum realm right now. Uh, I'm, I'm totally okay with that. I like to get into the movie and get straight to the meat and potatoes of it. Uh, I think that was a good, good choice on their part for pacing. That's that's totally fair. And and you're right, because I was never bored in this movie. The movie moved, um, you know, it's sitting it right under just under two hours without the credits and post credit scenes. So, I mean, it like it, you know, it's pretty brisk for Marvel. I mean, what wasn't Wakanda forever? One of the longest MCU movies like, is up there as as one of those ones that was like two hours, 40 minutes plus bordering on three hours. So this felt brisk and um yeah, and that's that definitely is a, a plus. So I, I, I don't disagree with you. I think that that's, I liked the stuff outside of the quantum realm, but the fact that the movie kept moving along shouldn't be held against it, I suppose. But yeah, um, I was gonna say regarding some of the characters, it's like you have obviously had some, some veteran actors in here with, um, you know, like Michelle Pfeiffer and Michael Douglas, and even Bill Murray shows up in the movie and. Um, Michael Douglas and Michelle Pfeiffer in particular, it's like, these are, you know, some American icons of cinema for the past 40 years. And they, uh, have to really deliver some just totally bogus dialogue and exposition in this movie, but both of them deliver it so straight faced and, and, you know, with gravitas that like... I thought that worked. I'm like, I like that Michael Douglas and Michelle Pfeiffer are here and seem to be having a good time and willing to put on a serious face and, and do this. And, you know, they didn't seem like they're just cashing their paychecks. Like they seem like they have a good time making these movies, even when they're even when Michael Douglas is driving a spaceship with his hands and like tube worms. Yeah. Ooh, worms. That, Thank that, you. I was that trying was to think really of something that didn't have a phallic in nature joke to it. But um, yes. Exactly. I uh, I really enjoyed Hank Pym. I liked Michael Douglas's performance. He I think great. the movie was the better for Hank Pym, and he had some moments. You know, they gave his character some moments. He wasn't just a guy delivering lines. Uh, so yeah, good for Michael Douglas. Michelle Pfeiffer, on the other hand, I thought was uh, she's fine. Her performance was fine. It, it didn't knock me away. I didn't think it was great. Uh, it was it was fine. Her character was very annoying withholding the information that anyone needed to survive to know what was going on at all that she made them wait like six hours to hear what in the hell was going on or who you are or what you've been doing like you can walk and talk you know what i mean you can fly a jet <laughs> while we talk i mean that's you don't fair. have to wait three days to tell me what's going on yeah i it, often when that is the case wh whether it is in 
movies, TV, or role-playing games, uh, when you withhold the information for too long, like, it just gets really annoying. Like, it, it, it's not cool, no one's impressed, like, just get it out. Yeah, uh, do you know anything or not? Just yeah. tell us what we need to know so we can go. You know what I mean? I mean, that's, that is a fair yet. criticism. Uh, she no, did, she did drag her. it out. You know, no, that's on not. the character, that's the writing, uh, so nothing against Michelle Pfeiffer for that, but I thought the character, um, you know, they, they told us that she was a freedom fighter, and they told us that she was a badass, but they didn't tell us any of that until, like, they thought we needed to know it, and I thought it was kind of cheap to, like, hold all these things in their pocket and be like, oh yeah, she's the badass, everyone knows her, she's the best, like, it, she's... She's king of the world here. She's the number one good guy that left that everyone, you know, like the fact that they just kept all that in their pocket, I think was uh, worse than it was good. It was not a, a welcome surprise. It was just kind of meh. Yeah. Could you imagine spending 30 years of your life somewhere doing stuff and getting out and just deciding that you're not going to tell anybody <laughs> the past 30 so, years Yeah, of your I was life? by myself. I farmed potatoes. It was boring. And you were literally, like, in the most alien place with, like, walking houses that could shoot lasers out of their hands. And you're just like, nah, I would like to watch the cooking channel Apparently, talk about your day. Apparently banging Bill Murray. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, no, yeah, Michael right. Douglas and Michelle Pfeiffer both did a great job. Both of them seem to have a respect for the subject matter, which is nice. They, you know, they treated it seriously. Uh... And they, your guys are right. They did seem that like, especially Michael Douglas. He seemed like he had a lot of fun uh, with. This yeah, this role. might have been the best, the best Michael Douglas as Hank Pym appearance through all of the Ant Man movies. To be honest, like it just looks like he's comfortable and having a good time. I love it. But yeah, um, well, do Paul we want to? We didn't talk about Paul Rudd. He's great. He's always great. Paul Rudd. Paul great. Rudd. You know what you're going to get from Paul Rudd. Either you like him or you don't. And if you like Paul Rudd, you're going to like Paul Rudd as Paul Rudd as Ant-Man in this one. Yeah, there's my the comparison I would make, because we almost glossed over him, to, you know. So, we, in film editing, right? When there's good film editing, you don't notice anything. Bad editing is when it sticks out to you. Like, something jumps out, and you're like, oh, that was not a good cut, you know, whatever. And so, Paul Rudd in this is, like, good editing. Like, he just fits. He knows what he's doing. He's perfect. Everything flows. No complaints. No notes for me. So I guess that's why it was easy to almost gloss over him. Um, it's because he he's what he was supposed to do. He did exactly what you expected he would do. He he was Paul Rudd again, and he was Ant Man this time again, and he did it. If anything, I could have used even more screen time of him in his own movie because there is a large portion of this movie where he is separated from. Um, from Hank and and Janet and uh, and he's you know mostly doing stuff with Cassie the, his daughter and um, so it switches back and forth so there's there are good stretches of the film where you're not seeing Paul Rudd yeah what uh, is so it, anything, uh, I could have had more of him and been happy with it what did you guys think about Cassie I thought she's she was fine. good yeah okay, she's yeah. good yeah uh, yeah I've seen this actress before she was in Supernatural she's in a lot of stuff. But uh, also in a movie called Freaky um, with Vince Vaughn, that's like a body swap uh, serial killer movie. It's really good. I, uh, I recommend. I think I know what you're it. talking about, actually. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, I don't know. I wasn't sure what to expect because I didn't know how they were going to play this. Uh, but like, she got arrested and blah blah blah. And they, like, I thought they were going to take this down. Like, oh, I'm the bad girl that you know hates my father because he was gone. Even though, like, 
it was Thanos' fault and blah, blah, blah. You know, I thought that's what they were doing. And, like, I was going to be annoyed by that. Like, I don't like that storyline. I've even seen her play that character before in Supernatural, essentially. And so I was like, oh, man, are they really just going to typecast her into this? But, no, she's she actually loves her dad. Uh, you know, and she, she wasn't like the annoying bad girl. She just had a conscience and was a lot like her father. And she's like, uh, a super scientist. Uh, I actually really liked the character. Uh, that was like one of the points I was like, could go either way for me. And, uh, she definitely tipped that towards the good for me. I couldn't agree with what you said more. Uh, I also thought they were going to do the bad girl in jail. I hate my dad. I want to be with my mom. The you know I don't want to be anything like you. I thought that's what was going to happen. I also was not in for it. Yeah. Uh, but then you then you know I don't want to spoil too much yet. We're not at the spoiler section. Uh, but yeah, then you then you find out what you find out, and yeah, that character is compelling. And I think that. Uh, you know, I could see her in the future doing some more Ant Man stuff. I don't know what her Same. character is is called when she's in a costume. Uh, uh, I, I believe it is. Oh, I just had this up. Um, come back to me. I want it's something with an S. <laughs> I know what you're saying though, and yeah, no, I agree. I would. Uh, this character did it for me. Like, I I really like the character. I think that she fits in the MCU and would be. They would be well served by putting her into more stuff. Like the where I wouldn't want to see any of the Quantum Realm characters again and don't care about them and I forgot all of their names, I wouldn't mind seeing Ant-Man's daughter again as, you know, as a title hero in you know five or ten more years. Uh, I think she's good enough, and I think the character's compelling enough. And, and it gives... Stature. It, it would give the, Stature is her superhero stature. name, although I don't think she's ever referred to that stature? as that. Stature. Like... Stature. Okay, I thought she was like stature, no stashing. Like she's gonna take your stuff and hide it. Yeah, <laughs> stature. No, but she would also give the uh, the forming young Avengers a much needed super scientist. I feel because uh, they don't really have they have some of that in uh, Iron Heart. Iron Heart, yeah, for, for uh, days. That's what I was gonna say. But that's like those are like two different sides of the science coin. You know what I mean? Because she's very much a practical you know, mechanic person, and then Cassie understands, like, quantum physics and yeah, It's that not kind like of thing. Tony Stark knows a whole lot about the quantum realm. You have to have yeah. a lot of different scientists to fit in Marvel. Yeah, he had to, he had to rely on the Hulk. Yeah, exactly. Uh, the Hulk had to... Through the Hulk and Iron Man, they were able to, to figure out the quantum travel. Uh, but, yeah, exactly. I think that she will help round out the team. All right, so we talked about some characters. We talked about our, our general takes and some performances... Is there anything else we need to get out before we start going into spoilers? Um, I will just say, because we we didn't talk about Evangeline Lilly at all, who plays the Wasp, who is a character that is in the title of yeah. this film. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, did she, she barely even really did anything. <laughs> she, did, I mean, she did a lot, but she wasn't in it that much. Uh, I just feel I like say... she's the least memorable of all the main characters. She wasn't focused on a lot, and I feel like that was a bit of a disservice. But they definitely, like, her character hit a high note in this movie as far as characters go. Because, you know, she's now the CEO and, like, the super scientist, superhero, doing it all kind of person. Uh, but they didn't focus on her a lot. And I, yeah. Where I would say yeah. that, you know, Paul Rudd just totally nailed it and did what we expected him to do. I think that Wasp just did exactly what we expected her to do. She didn't, uh, you know, she's the sidekick. She's a second character. She was not really the hero at all. 
it's Ant-Man's story. Ant-Man got to do the cool stuff. His daughter got to do some cool stuff, but Wasp was sidekicky. She rode in on his shoulder and she defended him against stuff. Um, I will I will say there was one part. I don't know if you guys were annoyed by it or not, but it's always hard when you're like casting invisible things. You know, I, I can imagine for playing Scarlet Witch how strange it is to just move your hands around and pretend that you're doing something really cool. Uh, but I caught Wasp shooting uh, things out of her wrists. And she was acting like when she shot them, they were like shotgun blasts, like knocking her arms and neck back like it was giving her whiplash. <laughs> and I was like, bro, you're shooting like these little tiny yellow things. You're not doing like an Iron Man charge up mega blast. You're just like, do, do, do. Uh, so maybe she overacted a bit of her things, if anything. But other than that, I thought she was, you know, sidekicky, serviceable, quiet, fine sidekick. Uh, she didn't steal the show. I agree that they did sidekick her. Uh, and I feel like they shouldn't have because her character is mm-hmm. pretty cool. You know, uh, yeah, I agree because she's I, I uh, she's very smart and badass. <laughs> like, I, I rewatched the first Ant Man before this. I didn't get to rewatch Ant Man and the Wasp, but uh, she's really good in the first Ant Man movie, and she and she is a big presence, and you know, she's kind of going through stuff there where she wants to be the one in the suit but you know there's drama between her and her dad but she's good she plays it well in that one and had a lot more character and in this i know it's just a progression of that character but yeah it just seemed like she kind of had the least to do of all the main she got backburnered man she got backburned that was the writing in my opinion that was was the writing uh i know there were some things during filming, you know, they said she was never in danger of losing her job, but they filmed this during the pandemic and she had some opinions. Uh, so yeah. I think maybe that might have affected her lines and how much she was gotcha. reacting into the movie. Uh, but I'm not sure. I don't know if that's true or not. But there was there was some p- political things going on with her as well. Um, I think overall she was she was fine. You know, they I don't, if they had recast her, she probably would have been fine too. You know, if she wasn't in it, well, that probably would have been fine. They didn't really need Wasp in the story, I don't think, either way. Uh, well, but she was in it, and she was fine. I mean, she definitely... Technically, they, you know, mild spoiler, they probably wouldn't have done so well had she not been there. But, theoretically, another character could have taken the place. Uh, I don't know. I, I definitely... I would have preferred her character to have been more elevated, I think sure if they needed the character and maybe that's why she felt so underutilized because they had the whole ant family you know what i mean there's like five of them running around and so to split the workload between all five it feels like with characters like hank pym and with michelle pfeiffer it's okay that they're underserviced and underutilized but you're cheapening some of the more heroes by by sharing screen time and sharing heroic moments and stuff uh it's hard it's hard to fit all that into one movie and I was happy with the the length of the movie, dare I say. Yeah, length of the movie was good. Spot on. For sure. Yeah, I went to Alamo, uh, and they had a special quantum menu, and it was, like, the size of your thumbnail, and you had to read it with a magnifying glass. It's pretty funny. That's funny. Some kind of like uh, hot wings, and then there was an orange slices shake, which uh, I thought was pretty funny. Because they like citrus Because they, they need citrus, tired. yeah. <laughs> Another thing just worth pointing out about this film that I think is interesting, and I think this speaks, this is before we get into spoilers, because this just speaks to the MCU bigger picture, and I think the 
fandom and and discourse around it and how kind of out of hand it's gotten. And I've probably added to this more than I wish I, I have, but I think a lot of it started back in Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. And when people started feeling like there had been a decline in some of the MCU projects and Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania debuted to like, I think 120 million or no, a hundred million ish domestic. Um, and people, there were some MCU fans or just MCU haters that like want to hit the panic button on the MCU on that because, you know, there is a point where even Captain Marvel made over a billion dollars. Like it seemed pre pandemic, you know, these movies were all just guaranteed a billion. And, you know, now we're exiting the pandemic era, and I don't think any of the MCU releases from last year cracked a billion at the box office, including Wakanda Forever and Doctor Strange. Doctor Strange, I think, got the closest. Um, and so now this one debuts, and, and people are hitting the panic button. But, like, this was the the had the biggest opening weekend gross for an Ant-Man movie yet. So, like, I just feel like, like, where, where are expectations here? I get that as an MCU fan, this is a big deal. Because it introduces Kang, and people know Kang's gonna be the future big bad of the MCU. But like, are we expecting this movie to make Endgame or No Way Home money? Like, no, I don't no. think so. Like, it's gonna do just fine. It's gonna like make hundred million for this movie opening weekend. It's pretty good, right? Right. It's doing it's doing just fine. Uh, but it's just it's funny that. And I've been guilty of it too, right? Like I've said that I feel like I'm getting more detached from some of the MCU movie releases of the past year. And I I don't think that that's changed necessarily, but I do still like watching them. Like I'm always going to go to the theater to see it and I'm always going to want them to do well because if they do well, then movie theaters are doing well and, and everybody's happy. So I don't know. It's just, just worth pointing out from a big picture standpoint. It's like, it's weird when the fandom starts to turn and people are almost rooting for it to fail or they want it to fail so that they can start, you know, getting, getting the lifeboats ready or something. I don't know, but I just um, want to be right. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Definitely been on the side of, uh, the Marvel shows are getting worse. The Marvel movies are getting worse. They're just, they're they're getting stale. Their formula's worn out. But Ant-Man, Quantumania didn't change that for me. You know, it's more of the same. If you're sick of Marvel movies, you'll still be sick of this. But I'm not. I, I like superheroes. I've liked them since I was a kid. I always will. You, you know, we didn't have movies like this when I was a kid, right? You guys were kids when I was kids. We remember when Spider-Man with Tobey Maguire came out, and that was, like, life-changing when it meant superheroes were finally going to be on man. the big screen. I remember. In a big way. You know, the X-Men movies, those were awesome. But I, I think Ant-Man is leaps and bounds better than those blockbuster superhero movies that paved the way. Uh, I think Marvel is still better than some of those, some of the original superhero movies. I think Ant-Man's still better Um and I, I read recently that Feige said they were going to slow down some of their releases and focus a little bit more on, oh, hopefully, you could presume they were going to focus more on quality over quantity uh, for slowing it down. But maybe it's because they're not making as much money now, like Drew was talking about. Maybe the opening weekends aren't as big, so they'll slow them down because they're not a cash cow anymore. I hope it means we get more higher-quality superhero movies going forward, I'd rather have one very good release a year than four mediocre releases. And and I think everybody can, can feel that. <laughs> Amen, brother. 
it's uh. it's worth noting that that right after this movie released that the Marvels, um, which is the Captain Marvel sequel that features Miss um, Marvel in it as well, got delayed to November. I think it was supposed to come out this summer um, and they pushed it back to November. And um, you can't help but wonder if like, I mean, do whatever you have to do, push it back to make it to make it better. You know, I'm always yeah. going to be pro that. But we get three. Marvel movies this year, because we'll get Ant-Man, we get Guardians in May, and then the Marvels in November. We had three last year. We had four the year before. And, um, yeah, it's like the TV shows, I think, is what's really making it feel like an overabundance of content. And it's like, I'm not complaining because there there have been some of the TV shows that I like, and I, I like that as a medium. But we are supposed to still get a lot of shows this year, and if in the future they start to hold some of those back, I don't think it's a bad thing. It's so funny to me that we're watching the exact same thing happen with the movies and the shows that we saw happen with the comics. You started with these characters that were huge, that everybody loves, and you had these series that everybody loved, and then you branch off and you branch off and you bring in these, these sort of more obscure side characters and you keep doing it and doing it, until you pollute your own field with stuff that people don't want to watch. And then, just like the comics do, at some point they'll have to do a full wipe and kill off a bunch of characters or take their powers away or start over because they're doing the same thing again. They're adding in all the sidekicks. They're adding in all the spin-offs. Yeah. They're adding in all the secondaries. But then we, get, then we get the House of M movie and, like... Let's do let's do that. <laughs> like I'm all in, need, right? We we need to skip this Spider Dog, uh, you know, Spider Man with a motorcycle action figure type of spinoff crap that didn't work in the '90s because it's not going to work now either. Some of the spinoffs work; they're tried and tested and true. They stuck around. Some of them don't. You don't need to try to force these characters back up in the movies and give them spinoff shows. If their books didn't sell, their movies aren't going to sell. Their shows aren't going to sell. You already know. You already tested the stories. You tested the characters of the demographic. It's it's strange to me to see Marvel do so many side stories. Uh, it's it's like you have proof on paper it won't work. Your biggest fans didn't buy it already. Yeah, but I feel like some of the stuff that didn't work in pre media has worked, uh, like out here. Because like you know, because I don't think the like were the Guardians as big in the comics or were they obscure. You know, they're they're pretty obscure, right? And then in, in our age of the late nineties and two thousands, they're very obscure. But yeah. I'm not sure what they were like in the seventies or eighties if they ever had big arcs that ran that people bought. Yeah, I feel I feel like and it's not necessarily always gonna happen that way, but I feel like there's still a point in trying some of the side characters out in the uh you know, like look at Peacemaker. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that's a that's a great example of but I mean that's James Gunn. I, I just keep bringing up James Gunn essentially. Yeah, those are, he has a say, those are both examples of James Gunn things, and he yeah. does have a gift. But I think he's going to Taika Waititi eventually. I think we're going to know what to expect out of James Gunn, and it's going to become this old, stale James Gunn formula, and people will probably try to spin off James Gunn formulas for the rest of our lives, and uh, I think we'll become immune to the charm of a James Gunn film. Though I hope it doesn't happen. Probably. Uh, but yeah, I mean, as, so as we talk about this in the MCU, you know, we just talked about DC and all their stuff that's coming up, right? Like, but, so the MCU, I mean, I feel like we can't take it for granted what they're doing, right? What other thing in history, in the history of of, of, of humankind has required you to watch 
a total of 40 movies and television series in order to have the full content. You know what I mean? Like, it is this huge undertaking. And it's right now, yeah, you guys are saying it's becoming diluted and, like, kind of tapering off a bit. But, like, holy crap, you know, it's been a hell of a ride. And, like, I think they can rein it back in uh, if they, like you guys are saying, delay stuff, start focusing on quality again. I think it can come back around just like it does in the comics. Like, when they refine things, they take the characters that were jokes and turn them serious, give them good arcs, you know. If you had to rein it in, what storyline would you focus on? Man... I don't know. There's a lot of really good ones. I think that they're already kind of trying. Uh, like they're bringing a blade. I'm excited for that. I, I think they need to focus on. I think they need to bring it back down. Cause like right now they're up here and they're always up here. Uh, they need. That's that's what always happens in these stories. Is that everything becomes you know Superman fighting fighting Dark Side right? And yes, I know that's DC. All right, everyone, calm the fuck down. Right. But, you know, all of it becomes Thanos is going to snap unless everybody assembles. And and then it just all doesn't matter. Then you get back to that Defenders level stuff, which they are with, I, you know, Daredevil Reborn and that kind of stuff. And I do think that in the future, the Fantastic Four and the X-Men will breathe new life into the MCU and will give it the kind of boost that it needs but i, I still think obviously yeah. we're not going to see the fantastic four for over another two years i think um that's the right answer i think x-men is exactly the right because like I, I don't know why i didn't say it. it's one of my all-time favorite things ever x-men absolutely would that's what i was trying to get fix. out of you with yeah. x-men yeah I x-men I think Blade actually further dilutes what they're doing right now. I don't think now's the time or the place for Blade. I love who they have playing Blade. I love Blade, but I just don't think this is it. I don't think this is the time. It's going to just be diluted and lost. I think. And I think if they can juggle on Blade, I think uh, if they can the juggle X-Men that, is what they need. The X Men has all the yeah. characters. The X Men has all the lore. You can bring the camera to the X Men and focus on the X-Men for a while, and then bring in some of the side Marvel characters that we already know, let them come and go out of the X-Men story. Uh, And by that way, you still continue to play in the universe you've already built, but you don't need to focus on those stories anymore. I will agree. Uh, As much as I love Blade and want to see Mahershala Ali as Blade, like, so desperately, I'm a huge fan of both of those things. But you aren't wrong, it's not... It's a weird spot in the MCU because there's nothing else going on that's really... They're, they're not doing a lot of the occult stuff. They're not doing a lot. Like, there's some Doctor Strange stuff. Uh, I hear that they're going to do they're, something with Wong and, like, Magic Kids. And I think that they're going to try and do a spin off of Strange Academy with that whole storyline. But, yeah, the, the occult's not really bumping strong. And I think that that is upsetting to me but yeah, we're focusing on kang the conqueror and that's not a blade villain and it's, it's not, not blade. To write blade into the story <laughs> this isn't it this isn't blade's moment to shine this is just another moon knight scenario where they're trying to force a character that people like they're just trying to shoehorn him in to say look he's in the universe too uh you don't need to put him in the universe if you're not going to use him that's just fair. wait wait until kang has a vampire army and See, then bring in blade they're bringing they're bringing back they're bringing back daredevil jessica jones potentially Luke Cage, they have Moon Knight, and then they have Blade. I say, get them, make them go fight vampires, and, like, I'll watch that. Like that's, I'm in on that, but yeah. To to bring it back, kind of full circle to Ant-Man and the Wasp, 
kind of where this where this conversation was earlier is that Ant Man the Wasp Quantumania is kind of strange because yeah, you get Kang and you get these kind of things that will feed into the MCU in the future. So like, yes, Quantumania will probably be required viewing for the overall phase five and phase six things to come. However, as a standalone film, or even saying the Ant-Man franchise, those three movies as a standalone franchise within the MCU, I feel like you could have seen the first Ant-Man and the second Ant-Man and go into this one without having seen the other MCU movies and probably be fine. Like, yeah, there's references to Ant-Man having fought with Captain America and, and the Avengers. There's some, some and the references blip. there. Yeah. yeah, I guess the blip and people know that. But like per, the story within is pretty contained, which I wasn't expecting going into it. I feel like if you watched Loki then you don't actually even need to watch Ant-Man to know where the story is going. You could skip Ant-Man, and probably the next thing, you could just infer what happened. But I think it's still worth watching just to see Kang's intro, because you know we, we kind of have skipped over Kang other than saying he was good, because I there think we're going to save a lot of he it was for spoilers. Great. But Jonathan Majors was so good, like, I mean, it goes without saying... And the thing with Jonathan Majors right now is he's kind of in the midst of a huge moment in Hollywood. And it kind of seems like if any casting agent right now in the industry could have, you know, their the first choice to play whatever, like he's going to be up there. Like between this and we have Creed coming out and Creed three in a couple weeks. And um, he, I think he's just kind of on fire right now, and for good reason. He's great, and I he's feel great. like he plays Kang with the perfect amount of, like, Shakespearean gravitas in a way, but, like, playing it just serious enough. I don't, I don't but know he what also to call. is very aware that he's a big comic book villain. Yeah, I don't know what to call the way he acts in that movie, but it's great. <laughs> I love it so much. Yeah, I love Jonathan Majors. I talk about it all the time. But holy crap, Lovecraft Country is one of the greatest pieces of media to ever be canceled. Uh, I'll never understand why they canceled that show. It was superb. Um, and he was in a, a Korean War drama called Devotion that came out uh, around Thanksgiving. And I think I talked about that movie a little bit on the show but like that movie was a was fine like the epitome of fine but it would have been completely forgettable had he not been in it like jonathan majors was in that movie giving his all to a to a role that could have been a totally i don't want to say a nothing role but like could have been way more forgettable played by somebody else but he's he is so good in it that he elevates that movie from what it could have been and now here he is having his 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 moment is finally really starting, um, and I've heard great things about Creed three and and his performance in that. So it seems like that's only going to continue. Should we um, love for Jonathan Majors? Love the way that he played the character. I just agree with you guys on basically everything you said. What a villain! Um, one of the things I like to do, I'm a wrestling fan, right? I love watching WWE. So one of the things I do in my head is whenever a villain is monologuing, if they just stall when they're 
talking. I'll start doing the stone cold what in my head between all their pauses. What? What? But if they're if their pacing is bad or if they're a cheesy villain, if they're not quite doing it right. Uh, Jonathan Majors doesn't have all those weird villain pauses. He has a couple, uh, but I think he holds up as kind of this compelling bad villain who, if you were chanting what during the middle of his monologue, uh, he would still be threatening and it wouldn't knock him off his game. Uh, I, I like what he was all about. I believed how powerful he was and how strong he was. Even with the flick of a wrist, he was able to constantly show us that uh, he's Kang the Conqueror and it's not to be forgotten. Uh, and he played the character with that same sort of mentality and gravitas. Loved it. He really, he really does have that presence as a villain. Uh, he's he's somehow both charming and terrifying. He's very gripping. Uh, he's like it's very easy to see like oh he's a very charming guy and then oh man he's gonna murder me like and then the very next second because of just sh- subtle shifts in his acting, uh, his voice, his mannerisms. Uh, he killed it, man. He, he he played Kang very subtly, and then not so subtly at times, but like in a good way. Uh, and yeah, we haven't talked about Kang much. Holy crap, man! Kang's a terrifying person. <laughs> um, uh, his, should... his CG helmet blue face sometimes looked a little cheesy, but I thought the rest of his suit looked awesome. Like oh, I yes. thought his. I didn't read a lot of books with Kang as a villain. In the books, is he blue? Is he like a blue alien? Or is he a black guy with a blue helmet? Because I got the impression that he was probably blue in the books, and this is how they made him blue without making him blue all the time. And if that's the case... That is a good question. I haven't read any Kang. But yeah, once again, uh, you talk about cheese. Like, the cheesy of the sci-fi in this does it for me. I really enjoy that. I enjoy the cheesy blue screened helmet a lot. I thought, I mean, it's, I don't know, man. It, they're taking old sci-fi, they're making it new, and they're putting it in my face. I enjoy it. It's a good question, actually. I've read some Kang arcs, but not many, and I always just kind of thought he was blue. Um, but it, when I'm now I'm Googling and looking at images and some look like it could be the helmet. Some look like it's him. I feel like it's probably going to be retconned in the comics moving forward to be that just because they do that with some of these MCU things now. Um, it really, looks yeah, I don't know. Like Kang was initially blue and this is how they decided to, I just, I just that. typed it in, <laughs> uh, in the comics. He is yeah. not black. He is Caucasian. He is Absolutely. Caucasian, and it is a helmet. It yeah, is it's a the helmet. helmet makes his face blue. I just so typed down, is Kang canonic, uh, canonically black? And they said no. <laughs> canonically a white guy with a blue helmet. Yeah. So I didn't mean to yeah. cut you off there. I just I got the answer. No, we got an answer. Yeah, uh, no, I'm looking at, uh, there's a super old image uh, where he's taking the helmet off, and he has a white bald head, and it is a battle suit. With a small armory of weapons that he wears. Uh, but I yeah, mean, anyway, uh, cr- I thought... He crushed it. Yep. Yeah. Neither, yeah, it doesn't make the blue much helmet difference. helmet was well done. I think is sort of, we all agree that the blue helmet was well done. They did a good job paying homage to the original appearance. It had a, it had a good look, but I just thought sometimes the CG on it looked a little cheesy at times. But I just thought the rest of his suit looked so good. Like that's what that the rest was. Of his, what suit I was looked great. his suit looked awesome, like very good, screen ready 
It looked movie like uh, it looked like some silly crap that Goku would show up wearing after like exploring the universe, being like, "Oh, sorry, I was gone, and a bunch of people died." Mm-hmm. Here yeah, I am in my silly costume. The green and purple head-to-toe battle armor. You know, it's one of those things that when you're designing it, you wonder if you're going to stick to green and purple the whole time. Um, I'm glad they did. It looked really good in the end. Uh, it reminds me of, like, not to harken back to X-Men too much, but it reminds me of when the X-Men movies came out and they just put everybody in matching black leather costumes instead of trying. Uh, I think that was the wrong choice at the time. I hope they fix it in the future, and I'm glad that they didn't put Kang in some black and silver uh, battle armor just because they thought it looked cool. I'm glad they kept him in the purple and the green, and they made it work. I do appreciate in X-Men that... Uh... Logan says something about everyone wearing leather. He's like, what'd you expect, yellow spandex? <laughs> it's real stupid. It's real stupid. But so Cyclops is awful in those movies, so of course he said it. We've seen a lot of different costumes now um, with Peacemaker's bright costumes and, again, Kang in purple and green that I'm confident that you could do a Wolverine with yellow battle armor that looked sort of like Tony Stark's armor uh, and get away with it with a matte color instead of a shiny finish. I think we're about to get that in Deadpool, actually. That'll be nice. Looking forward to that. All right. We, we've stalled long enough. Are we ready to talk spoilers? About spoilers! Yeah, let's get into some spoilers. This is your so... official warning if you have not seen Ant-Man Quantumania. Spoilers. And we'll sing spoilers a spoiler begin. song, a spoiler song, a spoiler song. I will sing a spoiler song all night long. Turn my microphone down because I'm not going to stop. I will sing a spoiler song all night long. Spoiler song, spoiler song, spoiler, spoiler song. Spoiler song, spoiler song, spoiler, spoiler song. You better start talking while I sing my song or else I'm going to sing oh, this song Oh, we, we end long. this. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I was like, I was like, what's he waiting for? Spoiler song. Spoiler song. Oh, no, he's still uh, going. I, I, think, I think the fact that we were able to talk about so much of the movie without doing the spoiler warning kind of speaks to it. Like, as far as the overall plot of this movie, it's like they get sucked into the quantum realm. They fight Kang. They get out of the quantum realm. That, that, I mean, that's really yeah, that's it, it, right? The movie's spoiled. Thanks, guys. See y'all next week on Fresh Out the Podcast. <laughs> the, so, like, from a plot standpoint, I, I mean, I guess the biggest things are obviously Kang. The way that he's defeated is he's sucked into his own little device, portal, whatever, you know, a bunch of gobbledygook. Uh, it's a multi-dimensional engine. Yeah, his his little power core, he gets sucked into oblivion. Um so it leaves it definitely he's not definitively dead. I don't know if this version of Kang will return in the future because obviously in the post credits or the mid credits stinger, we saw some some Kang variants and uh well they yeah, so the I mean, Kang variants do very plainly state that he is dead. <laughs> So this, so this version of Kang, the Conqueror, that was in the Banished to the Quantum Realm, we're saying he is dead. Probably. I, I don't think that he's dead. That's also possible. Got, I mean, who he knows? got sucked into a crystal. Uh, he didn't get like his head cut off and his body fell. He yeah, got yeah, we didn't see the body. Crystal. That's a good point. And when you get sucked into a crystal that literally controls portals that go anywhere, you could go anywhere. You just, you know, you're just getting 
basically prismed light prism teleported into infinite multiverses so he's somewhere yeah maybe he's everywhere all at once uh but yeah, yeah the only the only word we have that he's dead came from uh nightclub tron king and i don't know if we trust nightclub tron king nightclub yet. tron king was my least favorite of the king did you like the, the the one that had the tower on his head or the pharaoh <laughs> I liked the Pharaoh, but I really liked the Spooky Tower on his Spooky head, Tower, haunted, haunted Wizard Spire King. Hey, who talks like this is my favorite king. <laughs> you don't like, good, you don't like the king who king talks period. like this, do you? I didn't really like the king who talks like this. <laughs> but I like the king who talks like this. <laughs> now making me want to see it again just to see this credit scene because I forgot the crazy voices. I remember the tower hair that, I, as you're speaking of, but I loved this scene, the post credit scene that shows all the different Kangs in a huge arena, all being summoned, all cheering for Kang. I called all the. There's like a council of evil Kangs. I, I was all about this, and it made me think that like. Jonathan Majors, I know you said he's having his moment, but what a moment! You get to play, like, a million versions of the same villain, all these different wacky, like, over-the-top, so you're gonna see all these stupid Kangs and all these terrifying Kangs. What a fun acting exercise. I would love to play all of the bad guys, you know what I mean? And they're all you. You don't have to play them too differently. Uh, it's what a fun, fun thing for him to do. I would. I'm so jealous. It's like I would uh, love... James McAvoy and Split, except times exactly... a million. Right. It's like James McAvoy and Split, except Marvel, and it's uh, Jonathan Majors. I just can't wait. I'm so excited for it. I'm so jealous of it. That's like the ultimate villain dream, right? You're all the bad guys, and you're attacking all of the universes and multiverses all at once. Um. That'd be Besides funny if they that. just kept showing up to, like, fight you, but they're all really small. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like, like yeah, I'm here to conquer you! Alright, sorry. Um, besides that, I think that Kang, the Kang that we saw for, for most of Quantum Mania, uh, now that he is gone, I think it's safe to say that he is the good Kang. And I say that with quotation marks because he was the Kang that was keeping Kang's from screwing with multi-dimensional timelines. Uh, and he would just go wipe out their timeline and everyone in it to make sure that the Kangs weren't going to destroy everything. Um, so he's the good Kang. That was the goodest version of Kang that we get, is the Kang that was going to stop the other Kangs. Uh, he'll kill everyone else in the process. He doesn't give a shit about that. But these other Kangs are going to kill everyone and then come kill you too. Uh, and this Kang wasn't going to do that. He was just going to keep the Kangs from killing you. That's the best outcome. So now they're totally boned. And I think that Kang is not dead. <laughs> he is sucked into the crystal. And at the end of all this, Kang the Conqueror is going to have to bail them out while they're getting attacked by Kangs. And he'll show up and end up saving uh, the Prime Realm See, or being part of saving it indirectly by stopping these other Kangs. See, that made okay. me think yeah. about the part that made me laugh really hard was when uh, Scott's walking down the street at the end of the movie, and he's all upbeat and happy, and then he starts being like, wait, is he dead? I don't know. Like, we didn't see a body. Like, he said that if we defeat him, that we're all going to die. So are we all going to die? And he started having, like, this crisis. Yep. <laughs> that was really because damn fun. I was laughing really hard. An infinite army of Kangs. And those Kangs banished the other one because he was going to stop them. 
Yeah. So he was our best Kang. He was going to stop this infinite army of Kangs. Uh, and we didn't see him die. So I think that there's every chance that Kang the Conqueror comes back to conquer the army of Kangs in, in a movie or two or three, however long they take with this arc. Uh, it put us in a good spot. Love Jonathan Majors. Love Ant-Man, Paul Rudd. Um, and and I think this movie was, was you know, it's good. It's good. Uh, but there's... there's Spoilers, that's about it for spoilers, right? The as far as spoilers go, we should probably circle back to the beginning a little bit and start there. Well, I also wanted to say, so where, how did, how did you all feel about um, the end credit, the true end credit scene that showed um, Loki and Mobius on the hunt for Kang variants in particular? They, they find Victor timely. Um, I'm not going to lie, for me, this got me kind of pumped for Loki season me too. two. Mobius die? Uh, yeah. Didn't? Okay. That's what I thought. I When I saw that scene, I was like, okay, so there must be some time travel finag so, f- finagling happening to get Owen Wilson back in the it's show. It's been a minute, but... So what happened was Mobius absolutely died, right? Um, he died in the, the, the bottom of the universe or wherever, where all the Lokis were uh, accumulating. Uh, and then after Loki and... Uh, Sylphy um confronted the one the one below it all or whatever that that king um he then like destroyed a bunch of stuff blah 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 and Loki had to go into uh like another dimension where Mobius is still alive so oh okay so it's not the same Mobius correct Okay. You know, I'm not. I'm not gonna lie. Like, I watched Loki and I enjoyed it, and I wouldn't have even been able to tell you if Mobius had died or not, and what happened. Like, I didn't even question it for a second. So, I guess that's that we, just. You're you're right. I'm glad Jahan explained it to us, but I think this started with you saying it, it makes you a little stoked for Loki season two. Makes mm-hmm. me a little stoked for Loki season two. I agree. I agree. The other big thing I want to talk about because I. We haven't really gotten to talk about him yet. Is Modok? Um, <laughs> because I do think, for me personally, Modok was the funniest part of the movie. And Gary, you, you basically said the same earlier. But um, I think that the fact that Modok is is pretty much a character played for comedy in the comics too these days. Like, I mean, it, it, everybody's just well aware that he looks dumb and. <laughs> You know, and everything that comes with it. And so I'm glad that the movie didn't try to do anything to make him cool. Like, he... Obviously, his origin was changed a little bit here. Because I think in the comics, his his name is, like, George Tarleton or something like that. And he's a guy who's super smart and experiments on his brain. His brain head gets so big that then he's got little arms and little baby legs and gets his super-powered suit. So almost Um, exactly the the same... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the decision to make Darren Cross Modoc in this, I thought, was was a, a pretty funny choice, especially um, from how he goes out at the end of the first Ant-Man movie. Like, it just, it worked for what they were doing. It as far as Yeah, and um, I don't know, he just, every time it showed him, seeing his face, he just, <laughs> it just looked so off-putting but that's what made it so good 
And like even the CG there wasn't that great, but I think that just added to his dumb off-putting face and, loved, and made that even better. I loved when he was trying to talk to people and like he like cuz he always had like kind of a smile on his face. He's like, "Hey, it's it's me. <laughs> How's it going?" And like just so weird. Just so weird in every in the best possible way, but yeah. Uh, Darren? Is <laughs> you? I am so Modoc. Whenever they got separated and he's on the radio, he's like, Darren. Darren. Darren? Ugh. Modoc? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that, that, that part got me. That's pretty good. Because, uh, like, yeah, the first was two. That's funny. So funny. Yeah. The first two, I thought that he genuinely couldn't hear him. And then the third one, I was like, oh, God damn it. Mm-hmm. Oh, and the no. fact that early on in the movie, um, when Bill Murray meets up with them and is giving, you know, some some background information and help kind of uh, setting the scene for what's to come and giving more of the background with what happened with Janet's character and so on. Bill Murray is actually the first one in the movie to deliver the uh, MODOK mechanized organism designed only for killing and like. When I, when that moment happened, it was like my soul truly left my body at that point in the movie. I was like, they just got Bill Murray to say the words <laughs> mechanized organism designed only for killing. And he delivers it st- as straight as Bill Murray delivers a line like that. You know, I it's almost like that's it almost seems like that's the reason why he was cast is like we need like an old comedy legend to be able to say these words seriously enough but also like funny enough at the same time so does bill murray got cast because they needed someone who could believably get with michelle pfeiffer and that's (laughs) bill murray uh i don't remember who said it but but somebody pointed out that 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 spells (laughs) bodoff it was either yeah yeah it was either ant-man or uh cassie uh, but that, that one got me. Yeah, no, Modoc made me, I think that's one of the points where I was like laughing and crying, uh, at the end, uh, when he's like, I'm not a dick, I'm Darren. And then, like, he's on the ground. He's like, at least I get to die an Avenger. Coughing up all the phlegm. <laughs> it keeps coughing up more every time. Uh-huh. <laughs> oh, man. We got to see his little booty butt at one point. Yes, yeah, um, pulling him out of the goo. His little Modoc butt was so funny. His little squishy cheeks. So damn funny, dude. Um, yeah, it's a great throwaway character, and it's one of those things that, like, I'm sure there are, like, a dozen gatekeeping Marvel nerds somewhere in the world that are angry at how Modoc was disrespected and how that's not who he is and that's not his origin and that's not what happens to him but i thought as a guy who's not a Modoc stan or a gatekeeping dickhead that that was a very funny appropriate way to use Modoc. i actually really like Modoc uh, in general but i also thought hey the, like i don't think he could have hoped for better in the mcu i think that was a great Modoc. yeah i think they did him right i honestly. think they did him right yeah I'm I'm with y'all. I thought it was I thought it was funny, and not only that, I thought it was probably the funniest bit of the whole movie. So, um, Modok definitely, at least alone, is certified fresh out the box. <laughs> yeah, I, I think so. I enjoyed I could see some more Modok in the future. Yeah. I'm not gonna lie, I would I would take another appearance of Modok. There there was one thing. This is kind of nitpicky, but I want to like throw this at y'all to see where you're at because like Jahan, you with your Marvel knowledge, I don't know. Maybe you might be able to explain the science of this to me. Um, 
But first off, it's a weird sentence, you know, but sure, I understand. Yeah, yeah. Marvel science is weird, right? Marvel and, science is weird. And, and we have a lot of continuity to keep up with here with all these films. So I had some little nitpicks. Um, first off, th- talking about the quantum realm and just all the CG nature of it, I did think that almost takes away a little bit from Ant-Man's actual power of growing and shrinking because there's just not very well-defined sense of scale within the quantum realm. There are things that are really small and things that are really big. So like the sense of size that Ant-Man has seemed kind of like. Uh, So the answer to that doesn't lie with Marvel. That lies with Einstein's theory of relativity. Uh, So yeah, his base size is small. So being big is still being big. But stay, stay with me here. So I rewatched the first Ant-Man movie. Like I said, Mm -hmm. And in the first Ant-Man movie, Darren Cross, who now we, we know later becomes MODOK, um, but Darren Cross in the first Ant-Man movie is trying to replicate Pym particles. He's trying to make his own version because um, he's discovered Hank Pym's you know old notes and whatnot. He has trouble making it all work. Um, every time he tries to use the pin particles, it just turns things into little piles of goo, if yeah. you remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the secret in the film is the helmet. And that is, that's what it is. So Ant-Man has the helmet and that's why when he shrinks, he doesn't turn into gobbledygoo is Mm. because he's got this helmet that protects his organs. Right. So that's first thing. Second thing, when he first goes big in civil war and again, later in Ant-Man and the Wasp, he can only do it for short bursts of time because it where it takes such an effect, such a toll on his body that he gets tired and worn out, you know, passes out at times in those yeah. movies and and then, you know, has to revert back. Just like so, he did in this movie. Yes. Yeah. So in this film, towards the end, especially like Ant-Man now. I'm sure he's gone big a lot more since those movies and he went big and in in game and whatnot. So maybe he has a built up tolerance to it, but he was just going big, small, big, small, willy nilly without really the taking any effect on him with the exception of saying that you get really hungry when you're big, but also he and Cassie get big and then are taking their helmets off and all this stuff. And so my brain is just swirling with like, the continuity and science in the MCU. And I'm like, is this, is it cause they're in the quantum realm and it doesn't matter. And I guess you can use that, that card for anything in the movie is like, it, things are different in the quantum I mean, that realm. Is a good, I don't know. That Gary's is a, giving me big nods. That is a good catch card that I would play because when he lands underneath that, like big orb thing, he takes his helmet off and he's like, oh, okay, I'm cool. And at that point, he sort of has the realization that he could just take his helmet off in the quantum realm. And then at that point, it sort of becomes willy-nilly. Maybe he just had a realization. Maybe he just figured out he could do it, and we missed it. Maybe. I don't. So I don't actually recall him taking off his helmet while big. Uh, he did, because he and Cassie take off their helmets, big, and they right? have that big hug. And they run oh, to were their helmets off hug. when they did that? Yeah. Uh, well, so uh, I don't have an answer for that. Uh but as far as like him being able to do it way more, uh, definitely practice and probably uh, suit improvements. Uh, if I had to guess, I bet you there's some Stark tech and like other stuff that you know. There's been a lot of work done on that suit since uh, the first and second movie, so I feel like this it's probably better. Ant-Man. Yeah, he's high level Ant Man now. Um, mm-hmm. And honestly, for the most part, taking the helmets off. 
as far as I'm concerned, is just like, we have actors under there. We got to show their faces. But, uh. Right. I mean, it's the classic Topher Grace as, Vil- as Venom thing. You know, show his face as much as you can. Um, no, and, and truly, like, these are not things that were, like, making or breaking the movie for me at all. It, it's just things that cross my mind, and it makes for good podcast fodder. Maybe honestly, they can't take off their but... helmets, and maybe they did go crazy, and they're still in the quantum realm. So I I don't remember like I they didn't have the little disc tokeny things that made things get super big and super small right out the gate, did they? They didn't they have to make a bunch of those? They're in the first movie, like some of them. They're in all that's how they make like the Thomas the Tank Engine turn really big and stuff is because they're throwing those. It's also how he escaped the the quantum verse the first time. Was the Michelle Pfeiffer having so many of them in the quantum realm that she could uh, make his make Kang's giant ship core blow up anyways. I was like, did she have that stuff? Did we have that stuff? Where is that tech from? I, I oh, like, you're talking about ooh, like after twenty years, she's been in the quantum realm for thirty years. Why does she have modern age Hank so- him? There is no point in the Ant-Man movies where they're like, hey, look at these. They're a new invention that I can recall. So it is Mm -hmm. possible that she had them, but I didn't put that together. And that's actually a pretty good, that's a pretty interesting point. I mean, she must have had them. them. Otherwise, it doesn't make any sense. (laughs) You are right. That would be a weird, that would be a huge plot hole. That was the one thing that, for the timelines, when Drew, I was like, yeah, I had that same question. Is in the timeline, would she have even had those yet? Did those even exist when she went missing? See, uh, and the answer honestly, is definitely, maybe. Honestly, I don't think they did, because like they could have just shrunk that missile. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> would have been like, real easy. And I am <laughs> I am a relatively simple Marvel fan when it comes to this stuff. Like, honestly, you can tell me, like... Kevin Feige could come out and be like, oh, yeah, they they did just improve the suits between the last two movies. I'd be like, cool. Okay, that's it. Like, I don't, no, no, no further questions. Like, it is just something I thought of, but I'm not sitting there dwelling on it in the movie because I, I'm with you, Jahan. Like, I'm fine with these kinds of justifications. Oh, no, it just works in the quantum realm. Oh, no, no his suit's better. Okay, fine. That's it, fine. It didn't with me. make the movie better or worse. Sure, she had shrinky and large things, I guess. Uh, sure. Um, whatever. It doesn't really make the movie better or worse. It's not what the movie's about. The movie's about Kang and how the Kangs are coming. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, so we talked spoilers. Uh, honestly, you're right. There wasn't too much more to talk about. Um, I did think it was funny. Baskin-Robbins uh, Ant-Man in that uh, <laughs> where they all branched <laughs> off into possibilities. Tag. The one from Baskin-Robbins. Uh, Jenny started Watching laughing during that part because in the background you can hear one of the Ant-Man say, you got ice cream? One of the, uh, just just watching that whole scene of the tower of Ant-Man's piling up like ants to like try ants, to, get up yeah. to, the, uh, to get up to the core, that was cool. It was visually cool. Uh, it was I CG, thought that scene was very visually co- cool yeah, as well. Ant-Man's being ants is, uh, yeah, it's appropriate and it's thematic and it's cool. Uh, another spoiler, uh, Michael Douglas, when he shows up with the Ant Army that has been here for a thousand years with their technology, uh, absolutely awesome. What a moment. He got the hero moment of the movie. Uh, it was it was awesome. It was Hank Pym being Hank Pym 
he didn't need a suit. He just went and got his hands. It just it it, it was absolutely necessary. I think uh, it was a, a huge moment that sort of reminded me of the Gandalf at Helm's Deep coming over the hill as Gandalf the White with the entire riders. Dawn on uh, the fifth army. day. Look to the east. It gave me that same vibe where I was like, hell yeah, the real Ant-Man's here with his army of ants. Like, yes, sir. Uh, I loved it. I liked it. Like, up yeah. until that point, Kang was, like, talking a lot of shit. and was like, I, I'm still going to win this. And then that happened, and, like, Kang was like, oh, ne- ne- never mind. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to win this. <laughs> like, he immediately accepted defeat. It was pretty good. Kang was like, no one said you had ants. Like, this is, this isn't, this is not. I liked thing. a lot of what was going on with a lot of the characters, man. Like I said, I liked the telepath. Uh, Jintara, uh, was smoking hot. And then Cassie, um, really killed it, I feel. I feel like her character, like, kind of started and developed a lot in just this short movie, uh, with her development of the, uh, microverse scanner and then uh, her learning how to grow punch people. Uh, her dad teaching her in the middle of a fight was fun. Uh, and just her being a uh, revolutionary, I thought was pretty cool. Uh, I agree with everything about Cassie, but I think the review of Jintara was hot. I think that's not, I mean, that's not a character. Just being hot's not a character. That's being hot's not a character, no. It's not acting. It's not memorable. She's not anything. I, I thought she was, was cool, man. I thought she was she a cool was rebel. Uh, see, I feel like her point was to be the badass rebel leader, but to also be, you know, uh, a vehicle to help Cassie become even greater. Um, but yeah, I... I liked Cassie a lot in this movie. Also, I really enjoyed her first supervillain was Modok. That's really funny. Her, <laughs> you know, like that was her. Yeah. That was her one on one with an actual supervillain, and she won, uh, and even gave him his uh, redemption arc. <laughs> well, it was his first and second. It was her first and second supervillain because it was her. Oh, uh, it's true. Yeah, it was her villain before when he was the B guy. Yeah, when she went after him, there was a little bit of that, like, oh, this is the monster from my, my childhood. Yeah, that's the uh, nemesis. She has a, a nemesis. And she that, did. That's Modoc. <laughs> and if, if he didn't die, you know, we saw him close his eyes, we saw him puke. He did turn a little gray. He very well may have died. But a machine, uh, a mechanized organism designed only for killing, may have a second heart or something that makes it come back twice as... He's definitely not designed only for dying, so... Maybe we'll get uh, more Modoc Cassie maybe. in the future. Uh, maybe we won't, but if we do, that's totally, I'm down with it. He's a good nemesis. I do think we're going to get plenty of Cassie. Yeah, I I hope so. Because, uh, like like I said, I was actually worried, like, you know, they cast someone new, wasn't sure what to think. She killed it, so I, I'm, I'm here for it. Uh, All right, so we, we gave our... Um our star ratings earlier. So we've, you know, already made that clear. Is there anything else that we haven't touched on? No, not really. I think that we pretty much covered it. Uh, I think Kang's going to be an interesting chapter in the MCU. Uh, honestly, I don't know. It's kind of weird. It's kind of a weird chapter in the MCU. I hope that, I mean, this might be the reset that we were talking about. He might be that reset. Uh, and then, who knows? Then the world is the MCU's always here again. Do you think that we'll get another Ant-Man movie before all of the Kang 
dynasty stuff in the future, or do you think that Ant Man will just be part of that the big picture stuff? I do not think that we will get another Ant Man movie. No. And now without without Captain America and without Tony Stark around and with Ant Man knowing about Kang and knowing about all of this, uh, he may end up being the the old veteran of the team. Uh, which would be interesting enough. That's true. Speaking speaking of, did either of you, when Ant-Man's having his last, the fist fight with Kang at the end, and Kang is just really beating the crap out of him, yeah. and Scott Lang keeps getting up, I truly thought he was going to give a, I could do this all day, in tribute to Captain America. Because you know, he's always like yeah. raving about Captain America and, and how he fanboys out over him despite having worked together. I really thought he was going to give like a tribute to him at that moment, but he never did. Well, I've, always felt like, my mind. I've always felt like Captain America was kind of Scott Lang's like uh, moral compass in a lot of ways. Uh, but right. yeah, no, I actually thought he was going to die. I actually thought that he was going to die. I'm surprised oh, wow. that we got out with everybody alive. I thought someone was going to die. I just wasn't sure who. They they uh, hadn't believed. I kind of thought maybe it would be Wasp. Honestly, I thought Wasp could have died. I thought Hank Pym could have died. I thought that you know the, the Michelle Pfeiffer could have died, and then even Ant Man. Yeah, there's a point where I was like, oh no, Paul Rudd might die. I actually um, thought he was gonna give his last, uh, and I thought it would have been a good. It would have been a good end. I'm not sure if there will ever be another Ant Man movie. I'm not sure if they ever need another Ant Man movie. He he had his ride. We've seen what he's capable of, and now he can just kind of feature on his way out. Um, he's heralded in the new supervillain. He just needs to be part of that storyline, part of that overarching thing. But has I'm there, not sure he needs another movie. Has there been a fourth of any hero? Uh, yeah, we got four Thor movies. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Fair enough. Hmm. Interesting. Probably could have just done with three on that, but hey. Yeah, that's not the one I would have picked, but here we are. Uh, I mean, yeah, we we talk about that one all day too. You know, <laughs> Gore the God Butcher, great. The movie, should, not so much. Should people should they spend their hard earned money during this recession, where sodas cost nine dollars for a pack and coffees like thirty seven dollars for a cup? You think people should spend their hard earned money to go out and see Ant Man and the Wasp: Quantum Mania? I I think it's a great it's a great family movie it's a great visual movie it's a great theater movie uh, I I would not say no glad that I yeah. saw it but I like Marvel movies and yeah. I would say if you're if you don't love Marvel movies and you don't love Paul Rudd you could probably wait three or four months for this to come out on Disney Plus or whatever if if you you know I don't think you have to rush out to see it it's fair um, it will come out on Disney Plus yeah. Yeah, I don't think this is a must-see right now that you need to go spend your hard-earned dollars on. Um, I think it's worth seeing, but maybe not a must-see, as you said. Like, yeah, it's it'll be readily readily available in a few months here on streaming. But I mean, I had a good time at the movies. I'm pro movie theaters. I think that movies are better in theaters. So I'm like, oh, even for a bad movie, I'm going to be pro seeing it. <laughs> In theaters, maybe not from a wasting your money standpoint, but just as far as the experience of seeing that movie is going to be, it's going to be best in theater. Um, but that being said, like, I don't think you're going to be upset if you go pay the money to see this in theaters. Like, I don't think you're going to be feeling like you wasted no, your money. Um, but like, you probably could wait and be fine for this. But it's not like 
in game or no way home or like you got to see this this weekend this, but. this is definitely one of those on the fence ones i don't think you have to go see it but if you pay for it you'll be happy that you you know you, you didn't waste your money watching it I think and it's like fair. it's like we said like you can't even really spoil much from this movie like it's got kang in it and ant-man wins because it's an ant-man movie <laughs> i guess the like honestly the biggest spoiler spoiler walking away from the movie is what that darren cross is modok in this like that was a moment that I, I didn't the know going into spoiler it. is that maybe Kang didn't die and there are a bunch of Kangs coming. And Loki's and, in the in credits. Yeah. Yeah. But like you already we knew that you were going to fight Kang, right? But I mean, I pretty much Kang, knew all of that you don't have to happen. fight Kang. Yeah. You got to fight a million Kangs instead. Yeah, so and we already know that there's a lot of Kangs and we saw a lot of Kangs. So that's just kind of confirming what we already knew. Kangs, but Kangs, Kangs. But they're not separate, right? They're not in their own realms doing their own Kang thing. This is an army of Kangs coming. That's they were. Like. They were separate. They were. But that's not the case anymore. But I called all of them. And this is even similar to, like, going back to when I was talking about Avatar, The Way of Water. is like, that's not really a movie that you can spoil for people. Like, it's a, more of just a movie you go experience in the theater. But yeah. it's not like there's big spoilers looming from that movie. There's some, I guess, but... Yeah, it's there's no um, there's no like cataclysmic thing that happens in Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania that I'm worried you're going to find out on the street as opposed to seeing it in the theater. Also, my mind was blown when I realized that Ant and Man was in Quantumania when it did that in the credits. I was like, oh, I, I see that. I my brain had not put that together yet. Interesting. <laughs> did that stick out to you or did you know this already? I didn't notice. You didn't see that in the credits. It came up and it said Ant Man, and then the Q U popped up and the U in between. And Ant and Man are in Quantum Mania. That's pretty good. So I, no, I did not notice. Oh. Like right. if you're looking at my Google Doc here that we share, I'm gonna highlight. There's Ant. Oh no, I can see. I can see all the letters in my brain. Uh, now that you point it out, yeah, I see it. It's there, right in the middle of it. I must have not been watching at that point. Um, well, perfect. Is there anything else? Should we wrap it up? I think I think that's it. Uh, thank you everybody for watching uh, episode what seventy five seventy five of Fresh Out the podcast. Thank you for listening. Uh, I've been Jahanan at Rockvac, and I have holes. It's me, Casualty CDG. I've enjoyed talking about Ant-Man with you. If you like us, you should follow our podcast. There's a new episode almost every single Sunday where we talk about movies, video games, streaming shows, and other things that we find interesting. That's Fresh Out the Podcast. That's this show. Uh, it's available where all podcasts are available, like Spotify and Apple Music and every other Spotify, Apple Music podcast place. Uh, give us five stars, give us thumbs up, give us likes. And then, if you like tabletop role-playing games and you want to hear Jahan and I play pretend and tell stories and inspire you in fun and interesting ways, we have a, a show called Fresh Out the Box. That's where Jahan and I play those tabletop role-playing games with all sorts of different people, different casts, uh, different things every Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. We're doing it three days a week, so it's sort of like a live improv comedy show with lots of curse words and dead bodies. Uh, you should check it out. It's that's fresh out the box. Thanks. And I am Drew Munhausen at Drew Munhausen on Twitter. And oh, 
What is that? It looks like John has fixed the power core. Uh, portals opening up. We we could get back to the real world, guys. Come on, let's let's go back to reality. Let's do it. Thanks for th- saying that I did it. I appreciate that. Forgot <laughs> that we were in the quantum realm because it looks so real in here. That's because we brought our houses. Uh, thanks for watching, everybody. I saved the day. Stay fresh. Thank <laughs> you.